Hello, and welcome to uh, the Middle East Forum's regular webinar series. My name is Sam Westrop. Uh, I direct the Middle East Forum's Islamist Watch project, and I'm joined today by Benjamin Baird, my colleague, and director of the Islamism in Politics project. Uh, our subject today is Western Islamism Turns to the Right. Uh, and this follows an essay we recently published uh, at our outlet, uh, Focus on Western Islamism, examining some very interesting, curious ideological shifts within American Islam, indeed within Western Islam. Uh, and so Ben and I are gonna summarize some of our discussions and some of our findings in these writings and, and answer questions from you. Now, if you do have questions, which we'll try and get to at the end, please do enter them in the, in the Q&A box at the bottom of your screen on, on, on Zoom and we'll, we'll, we'll try to get to them. But um, let me start off by, by before I turn to Ben, um, let me start off by just introducing the subject very, very briefly. I, I think a lot of you will have heard of the concept of the Red-Green Alliance, as it's popularly known, this idea that there has been a long-standing productive relationship between Islamists in the West and the left. Um, and to a large extent, this is this is arguably true. Um, certainly, groups aligned with networks such as the Muslim Brotherhood, groups whose names you might have heard of, groups like the Council on American-Islamic Relations or the Muslim American Society, and so on, they have indeed worked with 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 leftist activists and causes for for many years, and that brought them a certain amount of legitimacy uh, and access to political power. Meanwhile, the left could claim a minority under their belt with which to. Uh, uh, bolster their, their own arguments and, and, and so on. But this wasn't always the case. And especially before the 9-11 attacks, there was a very concerted effort by the Republicans to work with Muslim vote, uh, voters, to work with Muslim demographics, to reach out and encourage Muslim support. And indeed, in the run-up to the 2000 election, George Bush relied heavily on the Muslim vote. And down in Florida, he relied particularly on a man called Sami Al-Aryan, very prominent Islamist activist. And Al-Aryan and his wife went around Florida, went from mosque to mosque, preaching the virtues of the Republican Party and, and encouraging Florida Muslims to vote for Bush, vote for the Republicans. As you know, Bush won the Florida election by just a few hundred votes and arguably the presidential election by just uh, uh, a few hundred votes. It seems highly possible, and Sami Al-Aryan has claimed this, that he won, this Islamist activist, won the presidency for George Bush. Now, take that with a pinch of salt if, 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 if you want. But just a few years later, Sami Al-Aryan, after the 2000 election, Sami Al-Aryan was arrested, convicted on terror finance charges, imprisoned and ultimately deported. He's now based in Turkey, from where he continues to run radical activism that affects US politics. So before 9-11, a very strong involvement, a very strong collaboration with the Republican Party. 9-11 happens, and uh, as, especially around 2003, as uh, the Bush administration is, is pondering military action in Iraq, the left is starting to uh, strike a, an anti-war tone, starting to push, especially in Europe, starting to push uh, 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 an agenda that Islamists, especially, but also Muslims and those of Middle Eastern descent, uh, could be a cause they could be attracted to, a cause the left recruited them to. So Islamists were 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 roped in to anti-war support, um, and 
the left encouraged this. And in 2003, you might remember enormous protests just on the eve of the Iraq war, enormous protests organized by both Islamists and the left in close, in close collaboration all across European cities with hundreds of thousands marching around the world. Um, and you saw not just placards reading no to war in Iraq, but also placards reading free Palestine and free Kashmir. Um, this was the beginning of a very productive relationship for the left and, and the Islamists. Now, fast forward to today, 20 years later, and things, it seems, are beginning to change. Uh, there have been some extremely interesting developments uh, in recent years. I think the first sign of this was, was possibly following the, the Syrian civil war, where you started to see not just far left activists go to Damascus on planes paid for by the Assad regime to meet with Iranian Islamists and their, their Assadist proxies, but these far leftists found themselves sharing planes, sharing transport and accommodation with European far right activists as well. And for the first time, at least for the first sort of noticeable time in a while, um, there was suddenly two ostensibly opposite ends of the political spectrum uh, who would spend their, most of their days attacking each other, suddenly finding themselves in somewhat agreement about uh, supporting Assad and supporting the Syrians. Now, this was a minority view. Very few in, in mainstream left and right, of course, supported the Islamists that backed the Assad regime. But it was a sign of something. And over the next few years, you started to see an increasing number of far right activists. Now, define that however you want, but far right activists supporting Islamist causes. In France, you had an increasing support for the Iranian regime. You even had Islamists supporting the far right party uh, a national rally, either previously known as the National Front, uh, run by Marine Le Pen. Uh, you saw this in Germany, in uh, uh, Poland, in, in Hungary. Uh, the rhetoric coming out of some of the, the radical right parties there started referring to Islam as a bulwark against the onslaughts of leftism and progressivism and so on. Now, these are extreme examples. These are, these are known as far right groups. But then this phenomenon of what is popularly referred to as the alt-right uh, also started to make some, some interesting remarks and interesting allies. Figures such as Jordan Peterson, very prominent uh, voice on the right, uh, started speaking with, taking part in debates with very prominent Islamists, such as the British radical preacher Muhammad Hijab. He and Peterson have a dialogue. They do webinars together. Hijab is a, an awful man, uh, someone who incites violence against Hindus, who, who spouts the most extraordinary violent anti-Semitism, who has encouraged and incited violence against Jews and Hindus in, in the United Kingdom. But Jordan Peterson and a couple of others from that scene were working with him. Folks who spouted anti-vaccine conspiracies um, were suddenly found uh, triumphing the, the, or, 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 or lionizing people like Imran Khan, the, the, the deposed Islamist leader of Pakistan. So all across the, the so-called alt-right, new rhetoric was emerging that seemed not just uh, a sudden fondness for, for Muslim allies, but an embrace of Islamist partners as well. And this was a radical development, a very extraordinary change. Just a few weeks ago, a very prominent, uh, uh, I think the best way to describe him is a social media influencer, uh, which is a, a popular modern job of our, of our time. Uh, a chap called Andrew Tate uh, is widely known uh, uh, influencer, for want of a better word, uh, who'd been the subject of great media coverage in the past because of his very 
well-reported comments about women and their place in the kitchen and, and these sort of traditional misogynist ideas that both the left and even elements of the right really attacked him for. Andrew Tate has millions of followers online, a whole generation of young uh, would-be misogynists, as Andrew Tate would, would call them. Andrew Tate converted to Islam suddenly. Uh, after just a few weeks of wooing from Islamist forces, he converted to Islam. And he did so following uh, uh, some rhetoric he expressed, claiming that he respected the violence uh, that, that Islamism had brought to defending Islam from attack and from critique and from mockery. He respected that. He thought it was admirable, something to emulate. He thought the weak West, the weak, weak Christians, weak, uh, the weak mainstream in the West would never defend themselves against such an onslaught of progressivism and, and, and weakness. Only Islam could offer the strength to push back against the threats posed by progressivism as he sees it. Now, all these examples I've given, these are fringe figures. These are fringe figures who do not represent mainstream parties. This is not the Republican Party in the US. This is not the Conservative Party in Canada or, or the UK. These are, these are fringe figures. However, we are starting to see some changes in the mainstream as well. Um, we're seeing some interesting rhetoric and partners and choices made by the GOP here in the US. And I'd like to turn now to Ben, uh, who has looked at this subject and just written a couple of pieces on this subject. And really, Ben, I, I think I'd just like to start with the question, what is the GOP doing? Has there been a shift? And what examples can you give us, give us of this shift? Sure. Um, thank you, Sam. First of all, for establishing that uh, historical precedent there, uh, giving us some context for this story. Um, <clears throat> there certainly has been what I think is a political reshuffling uh, going on at the moment, involving not just Muslims in the conservative right, but also Islamists, uh, which, have, as we've discussed at Islamist Watch many times, <clears throat> tend to represent the uh, uh, tend to claim to represent uh, Muslim Americans. They are the most politically active, they have the political infrastructure in place, so they claim to speak on behalf of Muslim Americans. Uh, this new partnership, I think, has manifested itself uh, most clearly in two locations over the past few months. Uh, first, in Minnesota, uh, a state which we know has a very large Somali American population, uh, we've seen a great deal of coordination between the state GOP and Somali Muslims. Uh, this included a large religious gathering called Super Eid in July. Uh, the GOP actually established a Somali Republican outreach center uh, in South Minneapolis in August where uh, Somali Muslims could come and uh, pick up um, political paraphernalia supporting Republican candidates. Uh, and then in September, there was a Somali Republican dinner, which was attended by uh, the top Republican candidates for statewide office and many um, Somali Muslims, including um, a guy I'm going to talk about in a moment, who is an, uh, a well-known Islamist. Um, but first, I think it's important to note that um, Muslim outreach is important for Republicans. Uh, Republicans... Um, share many religious and social values, I think, with Muslims. Um, they both want a strong economy, uh, minimal go government involvement in their lives, religious freedom. Uh, they want to raise children who are safe and morally upright. Uh, but where Republicans err, I think, is in the same place that Democrats uh, make mistakes when it comes to working with Muslim Americans. 
they fail to properly vet uh, their partners and they end up working with Islamists. And when doing that, they end up legitimizing them as the spokespersons of Muslim Americans. Um, certainly this was the case in Minnesota uh, where the state's GOP's number one liaison uh, was a man by the name of Imam Tabakal Ishmael. Um, Imam Ishmael, despite being the number one liaison to the Muslim American community for Republicans, uh, doesn't seem to speak a lick of English. Um, if you follow his sermons, they are all in Somali language. Uh, he does tend to write very infrequently in English, but they are always closely curated messages that he repeats many times. Um, so he, He's been in America for many years, and this is, um, you know, kind of points to the problem with assimilation among many Somali Muslim communities. Uh, but one of the big problems with Imam uh, Ishmael is that he was a graduate of the Islamic University of Minnesota, uh, which the investigative project on terrorism has done great reporting on this university. They refer to it as a hotbed of extremism. Um, instructors there have cursed Jews, they've praised Hamas, they've made excuses for ISIS. Um, and there is some evidence that um, Ishmael believes in some of these things. Uh, on his Facebook, he shared a sermon accusing Israeli Jews of massacring Palestinians, for instance. Uh, but really the high point of the GOP outreach effort uh, with Somalis in Minnesota occurred at Super Eid. Um, this was a mass prayer, 40 to 50,000 Somalis attended. It was marking Eid al-Adha, which is the end of Ramadan. Um, but it was also heavily attended by Islamists who actually appeared in photos with some GOP candidates, very embarrassing photos. Uh, for instance, Republican gubernatorial candidate Scott Jensen appeared next to um, really a very nasty Islamist. His name is Walid Al-Manisi. Um, he's actually a chancellor of the Islamic University of Minnesota that we mentioned. Uh, he's a Salafist jurist. He has cursed Jews publicly. Uh, made many anti-Semitic comments, uh, and he's instructed Muslims living in the West to not obey man-made laws. Uh, there were many other GOP candidates um, at Super Eid. There, there was the Secretary of State candidate, uh, candidates for Attorney General and State Auditor. Um, and it wasn't just extremist prayer leaders that were at Super Eid. In fact, the event was sponsored by two uh, very well-known uh, Islamist charities that we've covered quite a bit at Islamist Watch. Uh, one of those being uh, Islamic Relief USA, which in the waning days of the Trump administration, um, uh, the Trump administration stopped supporting them and cut ties with them. Uh, the other one being Helping Hand for Relief and Development, another Islamist charity, uh, that has actually appeared at conferences with terrorist groups uh, in South Asia, including a group Lashkar-e Taiba, which is which was was responsible for the Mumbai attacks. Um, <clears throat> so moving on, um, there was also something that happened in Dearborn, Michigan, and this was more reactive. While uh, what happened in Minnesota seemed to be very, very highly coordinated with the GOP, in Dearborn we saw uh, Republicans react to events on the ground there. Um, this, this was born out of local opposition to sexually explicit school books, uh, pro-gay school books that were available in local libraries. Um, there ended up being quite a bit of demonstration, many Muslim uh, Americans attending uh, the Dear, Dearborn, Dearborn School Board 
uh, to protest these books. Dearborn is a uh, Muslim majority city, um, hundreds packed into these school board meetings, but there was also an underlying Islamist agenda there. Um, you know, there were Republicans at these events as well, uh, conservative non-Muslims who attended, um, but many of the Muslim Americans uh, attended these events at the behest or encouragement of uh, local Islamist leaders, including uh, Hassan Kazwini, uh, who is in charge of a Shia mosque in nearby uh, Dearborn Heights, and uh, Dawood Walid, who works for CARE, the Council of Islamic American Relations. Um, he's been known to support black nationalism and violent uh, criminals. Um, but I think it's important to note that these protests, um, like some protests we see from the far right, um, you know, they weren't your regular demonstrations. Um, these were angry protests. Uh, there were anti-gay chants that were heard. Um, Islamist leaders sought to provide religious justification to the crowds to not just oppose the sexually explicit school books, but oppose gays and lesbians in general. Uh, the crowd booed and heckled left-leaning figures at the school, at the school board meetings who called for unity between gays and Muslims. Um, but throughout all this, despite the involvement of Islamists, a number of very prominent state-level political candidates, as in Minnesota, uh, showed up here to support, um, to take advantage of the political unrest, the opposition. Um, this included Matthew DiPerno, he is an attorney general, um, Christina Caramo, I'm sorry, Attorney General candidate, Christina Caramo, who is a candidate for Secretary of State. Uh, DePerno De actually told the media, I think you're seeing a shift in the Republican Party uh, in regards to the conservative uh, Muslim uh, demonstrations that were occurring. So in both cases, in both Minnesota uh, and in Michigan, we saw the coming together of Muslims and conservatives based on shared values. In Minnesota, Somalis were upset um, with Ilhan Omar's ultra progressive agenda. Uh, back in, in June, I believe it was, Ilhan Omar was actually booed off the stage of a local Somali concert. Um, they spent 10, 10 minutes booing her, in fact. Uh, and then when she ran in the primary election, she was expected to win big, but she, um, it was a very close election, in fact. Uh, and she ran against the centrist candidate. And I think what you're seeing there is that Muslim Americans are upset with uh, her stances on transgenders or anti-police views. Uh, and I think this upsets many conservative Somalis. Uh, in Michigan, we saw a single controversy uh, related to the same gay rights, sexually explicit school books, but it was enough to draw together two very different groups that have actually worked in opposition uh, with one another in the past. Um, so I think these uh, outreach efforts are perhaps the beginning of a nationwide trend. Uh, we're going to see more Republican and Islamist uh, coordination in the future. We're gonna see them come closer together. Um, but I think sadly we will, we will see Republicans make the same mistakes that uh, Democrats have been making for the last two decades and that Republicans really have already made uh, during the early Bush years. You know, I would agree, certainly agree with that, 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 that the last conclusion. But thank you for that. One very important now, I think, point to make is, well, what are the Islamists saying about this? We're, we're talking about the right here and their approach. What are the, what are the Islamists uh, 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 doing? And one thing that the, the Middle East Forum has been studying over the last 
few years has been the changing politics within Western Islamism, um, uh, especially over the, the question of Islam, Islamism and Islam's relationship with the left. And so there is a, a growing force within, within Western Islam, uh, especially from hardline Salafi backgrounds, who look at groups like CARE, look at groups like the Islamic Society of North America, and say, you've been working with gay rights groups, with feminist groups, with organizations that go against some pretty fundamental ideas that we radicals promote, especially when it comes to gay rights, especially when it comes to questions of abortion and, 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 and these, these topics. And as a result, the, a new generation of clerics and followers have, have, have risen. And one person we've mentioned before in our webinars and we interviewed, uh, in fact, as part of a webinar not so long ago, is Daniel Hakakachi, a very prominent online preacher who has hundreds of thousands of followers mostly Western Muslims, who follow his every word, attacking not the Middle East Forum, not, not Ben or me, not uh, 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 various Jews or right-wing folks. No, he spends his time attacking care, attacking Ilan Omar, attacking Rashida Talai. He attacks them as people who have betrayed and diluted Islam. And this approach is winning him plaudits and, and support from, from around the Muslim world, especially from, from radicals. Um, we are seeing a growing direct rejection of the left by Islamists. Now, some of those rejecting the left are saying, well, what about the right? And don't get me wrong, some are saying, eschew politics completely, stay out of it. Uh, we will promote our own radicalism without the democratic process, without working with any fellow traveler, uh, non-Muslim. But others are saying, what about the right? And so we are starting to see, as they notice the GOP reaching out to them, and as they see European conservatives reaching out to them, they are starting to reach out to the conservatives. And we're seeing this uh, time and time again. But then that leads me uh, to ask the question. In fact, one of our uh, the, uh, the questions in the Q&A was, uh, uh, is the willingness of conservative Republicans to affiliate with Islamists a consequence of exhaustion, prompting people to embrace a why can't everyone get along narrative, or is it a consequence of political ambition? And I think that's a good question. And Ben, I'd like to ask your thoughts on, on, on this. Um, let's take the Trump administration, hardly known ideologically as a friend of radical Islam. I think we all remember his speeches as a candidate in 2016, where he says, we are, have a problem with radical Islam. I'm going to declare a Muslim ban, or I quite call it that, but I'm, and I'm going to do all these things to stop radical Islam in its tracks. And then as the Middle East Forum documented, that wasn't quite the case. Uh, you know, the Trump administration moved millions of dollars into the pockets of Islamist groups here in the United States, four times as much as the Obama administration did. And again, something we've spoken about before. But what explains this then? Was the Trump administration just, just did it just not care about who is it funding? Did it just, was it, was it uninterest? Or was it genuine ideological shift? In other words, when things like that happen, when Dearborn happens, when Superread happens, are they aware of the extremism they're overlooking or do they simply uh, not know and fail to look into it? In other words, is it complicity or is it uninterest that governs Republican behavior? Right. Um, I think what we're seeing is mostly ignorance with the issues. Um, part of that driven by uh, political ambition, you know, maybe they don't want to know uh, who some of these people they are that they're getting in bed with. Um, 
But I think, uh, you know, in Minnesota, it was, it was different than what you saw in Michigan. In Michigan, it was a very last minute effort. Um, I don't think you would have seen Matthew DePerno uh, and others uh, converge on Dearborn unless they saw an opportunity to sort of, I think, what some have said is own the libs. They're getting involved with the Islamists because they want to smear progressives and, um, you know, and, and point out some of the radicalism of progressive policies. Um, but when you are allying uh, with extremists to do that, um, it's very, I think, counterproductive for Republicans. I think that's about right. I would make one one caveat point to that. That while I agree that for the most part this is uninterest and and ignorance, as you say, as you put it, on behalf of the right, there is a trend in the more extreme sections of absolute awareness of what they're doing, and this does not yet reflect in mainstream circles, as you pointed out. But on the extreme, and we saw this recently with uh, an interview we wrote about six months ago between Daniel Hakakachu, the Islamist preacher I mentioned and someone called Mark Collett, a very prominent British neo-Nazi. And by neo-Nazi, I mean swastika tattoo, the whole, the whole nine yards. Um, they agreed on everything. They didn't realize they were going to agree on everything when they started talking. But in the course of a two-hour debate, they suddenly realized that they had a, a shared mutual hatred of Jews, of secularism, of, of, of liberalism. And it ended with an extraordinary admission by Mark Collett, this neo-Nazi. He said that, yes, he'd accept an Islamic state in Europe. He'd be okay with an Islamic state in Europe. His only caveat being that it must be white, must be a white Islamic state. Now, practically, one can't quite see that working out for Europe, but that's a fascinating concession nonetheless, right? That this neo-Nazi, this active neo-Nazi, this, this leader of, of, of a genuinely far-right cause can regard Islam as an asset, something to help him impose his designs rather than something to, to stop his designs from materializing in the, in, in the first place. Um, so there is there is that that question of what the far right would do, and to what extent the far right and the other extremes will that influence seep into the mainstream, into the into the regular uh, conservative right? Can I can I add something on that? Yeah, um, I think it's important when looking at the future of um, GOP Islamist Alliance that it's it's vulnerable. Unlike the Progressive Islamist Alliance, um, the Conservative Islamist Pact is vulnerable to the next terrorist attack on US soil uh, or the next uh, US foreign policy action in the Middle East. So in the former case, you have conservatives who would become unwilling to work with Islamists and perhaps Muslims in general were there another large scale terrorist attack on US soil. And in the latter case, uh, you have the potential for military action in the Middle East, North Africa, uh, targeting a Muslim-majority country, uh, which would make it politically unfeasible for Islamists to continue working with the right, I think. Um, yeah. So I think that is what sort of sets the conservative Islamist alliance apart from progressives, um, is that it is vulnerable to those sort of activities. Yeah, I thought it's an extremely perceptive point. I mean, absolutely, absolutely. Now, we're, we're nearing the end of our time. I want to just take a couple of questions which I'm going to roll together from the Q&A. Uh, section, uh, both from anonymous attendees. So um, uh, one asks, um, what are the strategic, oh, sorry, one is, is not from an anonymous attendee. 
the uh, Dennis Karp asks, uh, can rights, uh, uh, you know, extremists on the right and extremists on the left be opposed simultaneously by coordinated current campaigns, especially Jewish organizations? Uh, and then an, a, another questioner says, what are the strategic implications of all this for folks intent on rolling back Islamist encroachment in the US? In other words, what choices do counter-Islamists have to make in the light of, of this information and this, 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 this discussion? So I suppose, Putting these two questions together, Ben, what can we do about this? Do we carry on doing what we've done with the left? Do we do we need to ad adapt and change our approaches? How do we stop Islamists from gaining allies on all sides of the political spectrum and becoming even more dangerous than they were before? Sure. Um, I think regardless of where you stand politically, if you're a conservative, you should oppose conservative Islamist alliance alliances. Um, if you are a Democrat, you should oppose those same alliances uh, from your own political party. Um, and I think that's important. We shouldn't, um, you know, for the benefit of small term strategic alliances that make the other side look bad, um, we should not uh, encourage these relationships at all. Um, I should say with the right, um, it does present sort of an opportunity um, progressives tend to be um, very opposed to hearing about how the partners partnerships they are forming uh, are extremist. It often elicits um, accusations of Islamophobia or anti-Muslim bias from the left. Um, the right tends to have more of an open ear when it comes to this. Um, so sh we should never um, miss an opportunity to inform lawmakers about the mistakes they're making when it, when it comes to working with Islamists. Ben, thank you very much. Um, that's all we have time for. Um, this is a part of a regular webinar series. So if you would like to see more webinars in the Middle East Forum, please do sign up at meforum.org. If you'd like to read more about the subject Ben and I were discussing today, as I mentioned, there is an essay we have published at our media outlet, Focus on Western Islamism. You can read it by going to uh, the domain name islamism.news and you'll find the essay there. It's titled The Conservative Islamist Alliance. Uh, thank you very much. And I hope you all have a very pleasant weekend. Bye-bye.